Welcome all, this is Justin Lomnes, the Lunatic Libertarian Podcast, the place to engage lunatic ideas about freedom, building skill sets, encouraging individual tangible knowledge, self-sufficiency, and engaging all of humanity, regardless of political affiliation, sex, race, color, creed, pronoun, preference, social economic background, or any label, title, or category you choose to affiliate yourself with. We appreciate all the knowledge for the better of all mankind, and we thank you for listening to The Lunatic Libertarian. Welcome, everybody. I am Justin Lomnis. This is The Lunatic Libertarian. I am here with my man, Ken Mathis, running for McHenry County School Board District 1, and it is Easter Sunday. So uh, how you doing there, Ken? Real good. It's not school board. I got. I know nothing about kids. I'm running for McHenry County Board. All right, did I say school board? I thought you said I school board. board. <laughs> Still all jacked up. Can't talk. So, yeah. um, why don't you let the people know how you joined the Liberty Movement? Uh, how long you've been involved, and uh, what made you want to run for this particular uh, public office seat? Well, I found the Libertarian Party uh, probably about 20 years ago. I was living in a neighborhood about a mile away from an AM broadcast tower. So every, you know, electrical device in the house, the TVs, uh, anything would play this one AM station. And they were a right-wing conservative talk radio station, but they played the Neil Bortz show. And Neil Bortz called himself a libertarian. He was sort of part of the party, but he was very much... uh, libertarian mindset and he was a great radio host had an interesting show so a couple of weeks of listening to his show and i was hooked i've been calling myself a libertarian ever since like i said that was 2002 2003 um i finally signed up and joined the party in 2017 uh the beginning of 2017 not necessarily because of the election but maybe that was the straw that broke the camel's back and uh It was about two years ago, I was driving down the road, and I saw one of these signs, Danny Maloff for Senate, and I googled him, and he went to the same high school as me, and he's about 10 years younger than me, and uh, I'm like, holy shit, there's a libertarian running, I'm going to support him, I'm going to reach out, see what I can do. I've already been uh, collecting signatures for the party at that time, we always need to get ballot petition signatures to get on the uh, on the ballot for the election. So I would check out the state's party website and whenever they were looking for help with that, I would do it. But up until Danny ran, that was the most I ever got involved. When he ran, I called him. I said, hey, give me some signs. I'll put them up everywhere. I'll do whatever you need me to do. Got to meet him a couple of times. And one time when he came over, it was right here out on my back porch. He asked me, so how come you never go to local meetings? And I'm like, ah, I don't think that I have time. And I knew that as soon as I said it, like, I felt like shit. And I'm like, I know that's a lie. Of course I have time. <laughs> so that's when I started going to the meetings. And because of that, now I'm running for office. We had a uh, we had two people run for countywide positions in 2020. And they did really well. When it was Republican versus Libertarian, those are the only two choices. The Libertarians got between 25 and 30%. So because of that, we have established party status. They were looking for people to run. I was looking for something to do, and now I'm on the ballot. 
Roger that. Um, do you have all the signatures you need right now for ballot access? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We have them for us in the county because we have the established party status. Statewide, it's a different story. Okay. We're running, uh, seven, we're running a full slate. So we've got seven people going for uh, the statewide positions. And we need to get 25,000 signatures in three months in order to secure our spot on the uh, statewide ballot. But I got Is, all the ones that I need for my election. Uh, uh, are you guys secure that you guys are going to reach that mark so that you can uh, get everybody on the state ballot? Are we secure? No, we're trying. We're going to do our best. It will happen. It's always happened in the past, but okay. it's going to take work. And it doesn't, it's not, uh, <laughs> it's like Jim Morrison said, you can't petition the Lord with prayer. <laughs> right. You don't just, you know, ask for it to happen and have it happen. You got to put in the work. So, um, Bill Redpath, he's our uh, Senate candidate, and uh, he is in charge of our ballot initiative. He's actually the ballot access coordinator for the national party. He used to be the LNC chair. He's been around the Libertarian Party forever. But he is championing our uh, our efforts. We, we, when we say we need 25,000, you always shoot for more than that. So we're trying to get more like 50,000. Well, it's always to be better off having more than what you need, right? Just in right. case uh, signatures are uh, invalidated or anything like that, correct? Yeah, exactly. And you never know. Somebody might sign and not understand what they're signing. They might be somebody from out of state, or they might say that they're registered to vote when they're really not. Or you might get a prankster. You might get somebody who just writes in, no, I'm Bugs Money. And I'm right, uh, right. You know, so. Yeah, but we will get it done, but it's going to take a lot of time and a lot of money. Uh, we're, we try to get all the free signatures from, you know, volunteers like me who go out and get the petition signed. But when it gets down to the end and we don't have enough, we have to pay people to go out and get them. Right, and right. The going, rate, going rate right now is about $5 a signature. Wow. Yeah, it's... It's a good uh, job. If anybody's interested, I can put you in touch with Bill and we can uh, get you out on the street probably today. Yeah, I don't know what you get, about you guys down in Illinois, though, with your COVID <laughs> restrictions and your great governor that you got down there. And uh, Mr. What's that, what, Prickster? Prister? <laughs> the Porcelain Prince, J.B. Pritzker. Pritzker, yeah. Pritzker. The guy that's uh, telling everybody about health and he looks like he's just a bill of health himself. Mm. Um, what do you... What do you is uh, what's going to be your first agenda that you want to try and uh, get momentum on if you do uh, receive the uh, seat for uh, county board? Well, I'm doing the campaign. I want to run and I want to win. And if I win, I will serve. But the point of the campaign is to highlight our party, get more people coming into the meetings uh, like Danny did for me. When I get elected, when I start serving, I will pretty much automatically be a no vote on any spending bill, any tax increase, but I have a specific plank, a specific topic that um, I want to concentrate my efforts on, and it's reducing the number of units of government, the number of taxing bodies. Okay. I actually got some statistics from uh, somebody who came to one of our meetings, a guy named Bob Anderson, and he has... Uh, detailed how we have more government than Texas, even though Texas is larger and more populated. <laughs> so 
Um, the main thing that I want to publicly say that I'm doing and actually try to accomplish it when I can in whatever ways that I can is cut the number of governments, cut the number of taxing bodies. We've got some ridiculous situations here in my county where the local community college has their own police department. And just, yeah, so it's not a it's not a private private entity. It's not private security. It's an actual no, public no, police force. It's a municipality. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it's like that all over the place with uh, forest preserve and not just in terms of police. There's over there's overkill. There's uh, bureaucratic sprawl, as you might call it, any any time that they can uh, take control of anything. That's what they do. And uh, well, and it's another tax grab, which is just going to cost you more money in the long run. Right. Mm -hmm. And all you're paying for is the administrators, the people at the top, you know, the money at the. Uh, bottom where the money should the tax money should be spent that's not where it goes it all ends up with these administrators and uh it goes to the red tape factory basically <laughs> do you have any figures of how much uh money that would actually save the taxpayers in your county no i haven't done that math yet I, it's hard to get in and uh get access to all of the figures and that's another thing that when i win i want to be very transparent through things like social media and other outreach i'm going to be very clear with people about how i plan to vote and see uh what their opinions are but every issue that comes forward i'm going to be talking about it before i vote on it on social media and through other ways to be soliciting as much input as much feedback as i can something i want to do different than the uh current establishment do you actually have to put in like a freedom of uh information request for any of that is that stuff on a state level or is that just something that's uh, running through my head as far as like a barrier I'd have to look into that. I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh, when anybody's talking about their reducing government, we all know that reduction of government is going to harm some people in uh, some ways, and it's going to help a lot of people in a majority of ways. So um, when I talk about hurting people, I'm talking about the people that actually are employed by the government, they'll lose their position. Um, and then they'll have to find actually employment in the uh, private sector. But um, do you think that the um, situation as far as what's going on in your county that uh, people can uh, transition from job to job uh, pretty easy if government uh, institutions are closed? I'd say so, yeah. Skills are skills and whether you use them in the government or private sector, if you're a valuable person, you're going to find a job, especially when we have a lot of people just fleeing Illinois. And so we have a pretty good job market right now. Do you think that um, people are uh, really skeptical, skeptical about government right now, uh, ju just given all the two years of the COVID COVID restrictions and stuff like that. But do you think that, that there's also a population that has a, um, a good uh, volume of people that uh, believe in the COVID restrictions, believe the government's trying to do the best for them and um, are going to try and fight that wholeheartedly if you try and reduce government like you're trying to do? It's hard to say. In our particular area, people are tired of the masks. Uh, the mask mandates, the vaccine mandates, especially, but um, you, we stopped wearing masks long before we were allowed to. We were a lot like Florida in that regard, and it's not 100% of people. Obviously, there's still people out 
wearing masks, which is cool. I get it. If you want to wear one, I'm not going to stop you from it. But I'm afraid that they might be a little bit overly concerned. And maybe they have their own personal, you know, health situations that I don't know of or whatever. But I think that we've had enough. And uh, if they try to bring back mask mandates, it's not going to. It's just not going to work. We've had enough. And every time that they overreach like this, it's like the boy who cried wolf. They're going to be less effective when there is a serious crisis and people aren't going to listen. So. Okay. Well, if I was uh, a person, say, like a progressive or I claim to be a progressive, what would be your sales pitch to me as far as what reduction of government would really do for me as an individual Let's say um, I receive uh, state welfare or uh, public assistance um, and stuff like that. What what would be your sales pitch to me of uh, what this libertarian lunatic idea is going to be about? Holy shit, you're going to take away the government that's actually providing me stuff so that I can survive like my food, water, shelter and clothing. Mm. Well, I'm not trying to take anybody's life away from them. I'm not trying to take anybody's substance. And what I would say is a uh, argument why you should vote for me is I am not a politician. I don't come from the two-party system. And I'm actually advocating for whoever wants to be on the ballot to be on the ballot. Whoever wants to be in the debate should be having their voice heard in the debate. We should have more than just the two parties that control things. And Frankly, if you're in a lower class, you're not you don't have the two party choice. You're basically just represented by the Democrats. And you can even see this in the way that they draw maps. Uh, they call it redistricting. I call it gerrymandering when you've got, you know, a Congress line that runs right through the middle of, you know, the right side of the tracks is the Republican area. The wrong side of the tracks is the Democrat. I'm trying to shake up that whole system, get everybody represented if you're with the green party if you're with the socialists i don't think that you shouldn't be on the ballot because of that i think that you should and i think that you should be in the debates and i'm the only one saying that you're not going to see a democrat or a republican arguing for full ballot access full government transparency like you'll get from me and do you see uh when you interact with people and let them know that you're running for county board do you see um, them grasping on to trying to talk to you about, hey, you know, if we did this and this and this, what would, what, what would be the result? Um, do you see it, any kind of problems as far as voting is concerned to get your initiatives passed? What I see from the people is when I tell them I'm running, they're like, good for you. Take it to them. Let's let's fight the system. Not necessarily bring it down. People, a lot of them are like, oh, yeah, t- screw them. Let's tear it all down. A lot, a lot of others are like, we need a good person like you to get in there and inspire them, show them how it's supposed to be. Have uh, people who aren't politicians in government, people who are citizen statesmen. Um, What was the last part of your question? If they were asking, what was it? Um, Do you think that you would run any problems with the voting process to get your initiatives passed? Ah, uh, with us cutting our board from, 24 down to 18 members uh, my vote will be more significant than it would have been and i also want to work on coalitions building agreements on topics where i can with the other parties but 
systematically voting, um, it's going to be the challenge that it's always been. So it's going to take a long time to get uh, to get better systems, things like ranked choice voting implemented. Uh, um, do you have a lot of county members that have been there for a long time? Yes. Yeah, we have a couple of outsiders who won in 2020, but for the most part, the entire uh, slate of people running right now consists of incumbents, with a couple of exceptions. But um, yeah, these are pretty much an entrenched group of people. Do you think that uh, people feel secure with voting for the same people over and over again just when it comes to voting, even though none of the initiatives that they're actually passing is to their benefit? They have up until recently. That's the thing that definitely happens. It's happening less so. Um, but the other part of that is what I was talking about. There's not many choices. You've got... Uh, one or two Republicans, one or two Democrats, and that's it. So they uh, they become popular just because they win, because they're the only choices. We've got plenty of races in the past where it's vote for two out of the following one person. <laughs> so it's all about getting more people involved, more people running, and more voices heard. Okay. Do you think there's any stigmas, uh, stigmas attached to the name libertarian that you have to worry about? I do, yeah. And it's not... Uh, before, like before two, three years ago, I didn't hear much about libertarians in the news. I just knew that I was one because of the, you know, sort of the insider experience I had, uh, talk radio and all that. But you don't hear uh, about libertarians in the mainstream, largely, unless it's, oh, there is a particular libertarian who is acting crazy or gets a bad reputation, this and that, whatever. So it is a challenge. I'm not afraid of it. And I want to put myself forward as an example of this is what a libertarian actually is. Um, it's a concern, but I'm not letting it stop me. And, I, and it's an, it, it is sort of an unfair concern. Uh, the people who I know who are libertarians are not crazy. There's a real strong mix of minarchists and anarchists, yeah, but we're not violent, we're not uh, sociopathic, um, you know, radical people like... Uh, we this guy right here? This guy right <laughs> we, here? We take I'm a lunatic. I'm, I'm, I'm totally about, let's go in there, just remove these people from their positions, they're no longer um, providing a, a service. They're trying to dictate. Mm -hmm. And when you're no longer a public servant, you you and you become a dictator. And the love of power, the love of the ability of self-progression um, through backdoor deals or contracts or whatever mm -hmm. that we are not disclosed to as the public, you know, I, I have a big problem with that, especially since, you know, I'm a vet and I raise my hand to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, you know, foreign and domestic. So it's like, yeah, that that, that stuff hits real hard uh, to, to home with me. And I think a lot of these people, even on the local level, pass agendas that either um, help their families or uh, help business partners and so on and so forth. Yeah, no, I hear you. And I've got a lot of the same concerns and the same feelings. Um 
we all agree as uh, official libertarians, when you take the pledge and start uh, kicking in the money, and especially when you start to go for office, we, we sign on to what's called the non-aggression principle, that you're not going to use force or coercion, aggression, violence against anybody to get your way. Um, and if we were to do those things, we would be better than what we're fighting against. And so it's an important barrier to keep that, uh, to keep our work in the realm of words instead of uh, arms. But yeah, no, I, I, I feel the frustration and, you know, my heart is with you. I think that a lot of people take um, what I say out of context. Also, when I'm talking about being a libertarian, that it will be aggressive when it comes to campaigning or being aggressive as far as uh, uh, exposing or um, uh, bringing to illumination the uh, corruption as far as the, the, the opponent of the politician. Politics is not a clean sport. It is a very dirty sport. So we can see that in within uh, just the Libertarian Party in itself on a national level. <laughs> yeah, so a hostile um, work environment. Correct. And uh, I think that uh, when people talk about the NAP, or the non-aggression principle, they, what I see is that if you are going to be aggressive against me as far as political posture or positioning, trying to get your message heard uh, as a, a larger voice than mine or whatever, obviously, I don't think the NAP really applies because you're not physically being violent with somebody. You're, you're just applying the same uh, uh, po political principles that are just there uh, as far as what we have as far as the duopoly and how they play games, you have to play the same games and start using their tactics if you really want exposure. That's just, just my own personal opinion. So, I mean, what is your thought process on that? I mean, do you think that libertarians, if they do say I'm a, a person that is a non-aggressive uh, principle um, compliance person, then what does it really mean to be aggressive to get your political agenda passed? Hmm. Well, there's a difference between being aggressive and being assertive. We are not at the level that the other parties are at in terms of ground game, having people who are precinct committeemen going around, knocking on doors, spreading the message, putting up all the uh, yard signs, even doing things like sending in letters to the editor. Um, being assertive would, being, would be more like, it would be for us to have established uh, methods like they have using their kind of uh, <laughs> methodology, their game plan, which it's different than what we're, than what you're talking about with being uh, aggressive. I think that a lot of the aggression that they have worked into the system, they, they don't call it aggression because that's not what they call it or they, you know, they're not going to, prosecute uh, themselves, but we see it happening all the time. There was just another uh, pollution, police shooting in, uh, was it Grand Rapids, Michigan, a couple days ago? So there's... I, I don't pay, uh, pay much attention to the national news unless it's something that uh, I, I, I grasp as I'm going through different news sources. I mean, uh, and sometimes it's just from an ad that I see while I'm mm. online. So, I mean... I haven't heard about that one yet, but when we when we look at um, uh, police violence, whether it's um, 
the quote-unquote criminal against the quote-unquote police officer because we have to understand that a, a policy officer is a is a person that's out there to enforce the laws as policy mm-hmm. but yet again these are individuals that will pick and choose which policies are probably the most profitable or the most popular to enforce because then it's easy paperwork if you can get into a rhythm oh, all i do are duis or all i do are um, drug narcotic stops or whatever it may be, you know, it, then the paperwork process becomes easier and then your job becomes easier because you know exactly which laws are being violated, how to work within those laws as far as prosecution, how to testify to those laws, you know, you know so on and so forth, because yet again, it's just tax on the other end. It, it may not be, and I think the harm that comes into stuff like that with policy enforcement, because we talk about public policy, and that's why you're no longer a peace officer. You're a police officer. So, you know, I, I'm not a big guy for, you know, back in the blue, but um, I, I'm not a big fan of all the policies that they have to enforce anyway. No, and it's a little bit ridiculous that if you don't pay your water bill or if you drive through the uh, tollway, you know, without a transponder or whatever, eventually it's going to come to the point that somebody with a gun comes to see you at your house. Yes. So we need to find other ways to solve these problems and, and get the government just out of the equation. I, I, I completely agree. Now I have a question since you mentioned the tollway, is the tollway actually owned by a Saudi prince? <laughs> the tollway is owned by the state tollway, toll highway authority. So We'd have to look into the owners of the state toll highway authority and go back and research, and maybe I could use that uh, advice about use FOIA, freedom of information, <laughs> to get into that. And that's just here in Illinois. How many toll roads uh, are there nationwide? Not right. Know, we've got some private toll bridges coming up here. Uh, one is just outside of my county. <laughs> so McHenry County won't be dealing with that, but our residents will be riding on it every day. Right. And one of the reasons I bring it up is because in the Chicago Tribune, they ran an article in 2017 while uh, Trump was still president. And um, it included uh, BlackRock, which is the trillion dollar corporation that's buying up a shit ton of properties across the United States, a ton of land, ton of assets. Well, uh, the Saudis are backing BlackRock as well. They're they're a part of that group. Oh, wow. So that's the only reason I ask. Yeah. Well, they might be. They might be one of the partners in the Chicago Skyway too. That was the uh, toll road between Chicago and Indiana that Mayor Daley sold off for uh, pennies on the dollar when they had a budget crisis about ten years ago. <laughs> yeah, that 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 thing was pretty old and it was not modern. It was not meant for modern traffic vehicle. <laughs> you know that thing, and it was. It, it was scary to go across that fucker sometimes because, I mean, it, you know, the, the the damage, the potholes, everything else. And it, I went through it uh, not that long ago, and it was, uh, it was actually pretty nice. Well, it's private sector money that's running it now, so they've got the uh, incentive to take care of it. Is it the Saudis? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> May or may I'm trying not. to get my journalistic background and, uh, you know, I'm trying to trying to play that role, you know, like, you know, do the Saudis actually own and are American people paying Saudis for not only the fuel that goes into their vehicles to cross the tollway, but then they're paying them 
to actually use the roads in their states. And I, I, I can't get behind that. I hate owning an iPad just to go drag racing. I fucking hate it. Uh, they don't even let you pay cash now. I know it's because of COVID. they took away the cash option. It's, yeah. it's, it's all because of COVID, too. It was easy that right. that that. But think of that. That was an individual that I don't know. They made, what, eight, nine, ten dollars an hour to stand there and receive federal notes and give back federal notes. So I, you know, but they eliminated all the all those jobs, which, you know, it's a reduction of government, which, you know, good on you. Now it's all automated. But when they push automation, it, it's a it's a slippery slope because you still need human uh, intervention when automation goes wrong. Mm hmm. And they're not passing the savings along at all. We still pay the same price on our uh, iPass. Well, and they tell you that they just found another place to spend the money. Right. <laughs> and then they need more money to spend because they found other places to spend money. But if they would just actually stop taking your money and allowing you to spend it where you want to, it'd be a completely different story. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I brought up an idea one time on, I don't know if it was Clubhouse or another uh, podcast or if it was on a Zoom or something. Why don't all the 501c3s uh, get out get together and stop competing for the government money and just combine their all their funding, which is billions of dollars. When you talk about every single one that's listed in the entire country, it's billions of dollars. Mm -hmm. They go into these 501 uh C3s, and then it, it, it's kind of funny that most of that funding goes into property and to staff, and it, it doesn't actually go to anything else. It's right. just another business for public funds. Mm -hmm. It's that red tape. It's the uh, administrative layer at the top, the CEOs, the CFOs, in my opinion, who aren't necessary and who all do the same thing. And yeah, take out that. Uh, it's like the guy in. Uh, the movie Office Space. I'm sure you've seen the movie Office Space. You can't have the engineers talking to the customers. Right, 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 right. <laughs> uh, we know that these people are just uh, in the business of making themselves necessary. Just they're in the job. Their job is to make themselves have a job. Correct, and 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 that's pretty much it. And um, when you talk to people, and especially as a libertarian perspective, one of the things I brought up is um, we, we need to be necessary until we're no longer necessary. If we can change and influence people to be more self-sufficient, more trustworthy to each other, there's get rid of the public barricades that, you know, licensing laws and district uh, zoning laws and all this other crap that is implemented to limit actual free market business i mean we could really be on the upside down of this and be you know 90 trillion in in black going you know what do you want to do you know you know the, the uh let's let's tell all the uh people actually going to public school that uh you know we're going to start paying the children to go and by the time they're done in 18 they're going to have money in the bank for the entire time that we told them that we had to control their clock from the time they're five years old all the way up until the time they're 18. Just And the flip side of that is how much money is going out the door every day in interest on our debt that we, we've just managed the money. We've hired, not we, not the citizens, but Correct. we have put people in charge who are such horrible money managers that we are bleeding to death, literally, of money and 
It's, and it's, they keep asking for more. We have absolutely mm-hmm. no idea of the accountability of where the money goes. Yeah. I mean, there should be a budget that is put out every single day. This is where your money went as it's ten, $10 billion. Okay. Here's exactly where it is to the penny. Yeah. And it shouldn't be hard. They're the government, right? It's all digital. There's just somebody clicking a button. It's all digital dollars rolling across the screen to people's accounts. And here you go. This is where it went. Boom, 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 boom. And then we paid ourselves back, which I still don't understand. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to Tuesday night. I'm going to be attending a McHenry County board meeting. Um, I've been invited there because I'm a member of our emergency management agency. I'm a volunteer with the search and rescue team. And this is volunteer week in Illinois. So the county board has asked everybody to come and be recognized and I'll actually be there. And uh, I don't know if they realize that I'm going to be running against them in November, but they'll know it by the time the meeting is over. It's going to be a fun night. Hopefully you guys just take a tripod and set up a little camera in the corner where nobody can actually recognize it or pay attention to it and actually get, get them on camera. Or do you guys actually um, uh, make your meetings public? The meetings are public and they're uh, a mix there. I think there's still a hybrid of in-person and uh, zoom call, but everybody in uh yeah, we all need to have better technology. When you go on one of their Zoom calls, it's one fixed camera. I mean, my church has a better <laughs> presence on the internet than this uh, place. So. But it, it shows you where they probably said they spent thousands and thousands of dollars on these resources, and they don't know how to use it. Mm-hmm. And it's just sitting there in limbo. And then, oh, well, now I have all this stuff that I have to get rid of, so my new budget, I can spend the money again. <laughs> That's what they do. It's the old game. I love that scene. In, uh, and I'm a movie guy. I'm sorry I keep bringing up movies. but I'm a movie guy, too. Uh, we were, When we were talking on Clubhouse, this is something I think we recognized. Uh-huh. Yeah. The movie Falling Down, Michael Douglas. Great fucking movie. <laughs> What's Great wrong with fucking the road? Movie. What's wrong with the road? Nothing's wrong with the road. I'll give you something to fix. <laughs> I want it. Why doesn't this look like what's on the on the picture? I want it to look like it's on the picture. <laughs> Somebody tell me what's wrong with this burger. <laughs> it's it's uh, well, we start serving uh, uh, we start serving lunch now. It's like ten fifty nine, or it's like two minutes after or something. You're, he's like, you're telling me you have no breakfast back there that is just going to get thrown away, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, I just want breakfast. <laughs> it's just fucking that movie's great. I love that movie because um, it shows somebody who gets caught up in the rat race. If you haven't watched this movie, it's with Michael Douglas called Falling Downs from like, what, uh, 91? Sometime in the early 90s, yeah. And uh, he's a guy that was some kind of brilliant guy, got up, went up to the office every single day, worked for the government. Built missiles. And he lost his wife, lost his child because uh, that's all he knew was that get up, go to work, come home, get up, go to work, come home, get up, go to work, come home, deal with the same bullshit every single day. And then one day he just fucking snaps. And he had been fired for his job for, I, I forget how long it is in the movie. It's probably for a couple of weeks or something. And yeah, he, he just loses it. And he's like, I'm going home. I'm going to get my wife back and my child. And it, it's a fucking wild ride that he goes through in Los Angeles. So <laughs> He was the inspiration for the Simpsons character, Frank Grimes, who was the guy who came in and worked at the power plant until he uh, 
freaked out at Homer because uh, Homer was so successful, even though he was such a uh, doofus. <laughs> Who did his voice? Wasn't it uh, um, the comedian that actually got killed by his wife? Let's see. I'm going to Google that. Who did Frank Grimes' voice? <clears throat> Yeah, and I, th I think it was a guy who got killed by his wife. He used to be on Saturday Night Live. Joe Rogan talks about him all oh, the time. Oh, well, you're talking about Phil Hartman. Yep. Yeah, that might have been him. Phil Hartman had a lot of roles on The Simpsons. He was he was a reoccurring uh, yeah, special well, he guest was all the, the time. Yeah, well, he was the Lionel Hutz and um, Troy McClure. He was those two for sure. He might have been Frank Grimes. I, I, I'm not sure. Oh, I loved... Uh, Oh, Phil Hartman was great in the movie CB4. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Chris Rock. Oh, sweat from my balls. I'm yep. from Milwaukee, bro. That was something that, <laughs> as a kid, was completely inappropriate. But we watched that shit. And the big old balls on stage and the fucking Jerry Curl juices and them uh, doing the whole run DMC and the tape fucking up in the deck. And that, that whole movie is great. That Chris Rock was great in that movie. Um Charlie Murphy was great in that movie. Um, and yeah, this even Chris Elliott, even Chris Elliott was great at playing the white boy. <laughs> and then you had the guy with the uh, the the voice problem, and he's like the baritone bitch. <laughs> and then he had that <laughs> laugh. Yeah, it was yeah. that shit was great. And then they were made fun of MC Hammer with the fucking pants. Yep. <laughs> and he beats the shit out of dude in his casket. He's like, where's my money, motherfucker? Bow. Where's my money, motherfucker? Bow. I think that was Jamie Foxx. Oh, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was not Jamie Foxx. It was uh, another guy who um, I think he was on a sitcom show that might have been on the WB after that, but I, I, I don't remember his name. But yeah, I remember all that stuff, dude. Uh, I'm gonna get you, sucker. When they were over gold, and um, that was actually Chris Rock's first movie when he was uh, um, uh, trying to order one rib in, uh, from Isaac Hayes and oh, uh, yeah. Jim Brown at the <laughs> the rib shop. No, 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 one rib, <laughs> one rib. Yeah, I'm sure I'm hungry. How much you, you got soda? Ah, uh, one dollar. Ah, yeah. oh, man, come on, man. How about you let me get a sip for 15 cents? My cups cost more than 15 cents. Ah, oh, come on, man. Fuck a cup. Pour it in my hand for a dime. <laughs> Shit was fucking hilarious. But yeah, I'm a big movie buff to myself. And, you know, it's, uh, I think that's a part of the era. I mean, I, I, I was born in 83, but. We, uh, you know, that was a way for mom to keep us in the house is not being the street is just to entertain us with all kind of movies and stuff. So, yep. I mean, that's that's one of the uh, but I think that people can derive a lot of um, what our influences are, what we're supposed to be influenced by. And there's a lot of storytelling that was done in movies back in those days, which is not done now. Now it is a complete uh, dictation of what you're supposed to think, how you're supposed to say stuff and shit like that. So. Um, most modern movies I don't get into. I, I, I like the older stuff like Evil Dead, the original. I like <laughs> Evil Dead 2, which is even fucking more hilarious because it's basically the same story told over again. 
Um, I love Army of Darkness. Um, uh, I don't I don't know if you've ever seen I Madman. It's where a fucking guy comes out of a book doing crazy shit. I mean, this is a there's a lot of movies that I saw back in the day. Um, uh, the stuff. I don't know if you remember that. It was some kind of alien movie with some like marshmallow ooze that was uh, taking people over as far as aliens. Okay, yeah, I think I've probably seen that. I'm a little bit older than you. I was born in 79. So. And then there was critters and shit like that. Those crazy ass like uh, uh, porcupine, which I thought was the inspiration for Sonic the Hedgehog, to tell you the truth, because <laughs> they rolled around and they throw spikes at you. We Hellraiser, another crazy ass movie. Um, I think that fucked that one fucked a lot of people up. And then there was uh, Elm Street, Friday the 13th. That was all the stuff that I grew up with. Well, we had a couple of uh, famous movies filmed right around here. We mentioned uh, Chris Elliott before. The movie Groundhog Day was filmed in Woodstock, Illinois. And the uh, what they call the Pennsylvanian Hotel in that movie is actually the Woodstock Opera House, which is a little community theater. That's haunted, by the way. <laughs> it's a lady named Elvira, who's a ghost, who lives there. Has Ghost Hunter been there? Oh, I'm not sure. I bet they. that's a great question. I gotta. I don't know. I don't think so. She might be too scary for them. <laughs> well, Major League was filmed in uh, Milwaukee. Uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. 3000. Um, what else was filmed there? Uh, Transformers, I know, was filmed with the new Milwaukee Art Museum. Um but I know Major League, they used uh, County Stadium before it was torn down and replaced with Miller Park. I remember. I went to a few games at the old County Stadium. And I love Bob Euchre. He's great in that movie. <laughs> just a little outside. <laughs> and he's just getting shit-faced and drinking <laughs> Jack Daniels straight. Like, you know, he ta- he pours his drink. He spills a little. He takes his, gets a little luck behind the ear. And there he goes. But Bob Euchre was a uh, pretty average catcher as a, a as an actual major league ball player, and then he wasn't that bad of an actor on Mister Belvedere either. No, he was great. <laughs> Another eighty sitcom. We had Mister Belvedere, um, or was that the late seventies? Um, no, that was eighties. Uh, you had uh, Webster, uh, Punky Brewster, a bunch of fucking shit when you grew up. Family Matters was a big one. Uh, and a lot of them had uh, FX athletes like yes. uh, Bob Euchre and George Karras on Webster. So um, it's like, oh, you're no good on the uh, field anymore. Let's see how you are behind the camera. Well, and um, it, you have people nowadays that are telling people to stay in their lane. This is your expertise. You can't branch out and learn anything else. This is just what you're supposed to know because this is your secular fucking idea that uh-huh. we tell you that you're supposed to. This is your lane. But people forget there are people. Uh, I, I can try and consider myself as a renaissance man. I can do drywall. I can do uh, automotive. I can do diesel. I can do small engine. I can do uh, framing. I can do roofing. Um, pretty much the skilled trades. And then anything else as far as like um, when you're talking nutrition and stuff like that, try and get the best information. But yet again, we have um, campaigns as far as our nutrition, as far as what government says, because, you know, you have the Department of Health. And they told us for years that eating shit tons of bread was good for you, (laughs) Yeah, which we know is horrible. Eat Mm -hmm. vegetables. But yet again, we had Got Milk campaigns, which everybody got paid off of that. Do you remember the absolute billboards that were everywhere with that? Uh-huh. Brett Favre 
Mm-hmm. Um, everybody. everybody had the milk. Erlac- Erlacher, yep. everybody. Mm-hmm. And that's another industry campaign that is um, lobbyists trying to influence the consumer to purchase their product more. Mm-hmm. And the government's allowing it. Yeah, not just allowing it. I'm sure there's some federal money in there. <laughs> it's atrocious. And it lies that we're told versus what is the truth. And that's why I think that there's a lot of people that are skeptical nowadays of what is the truth. Mm-hmm. And then Trump tripped it all up with fake news and all kinds of other shit like that uh, because he's a he, he's he's an actor billionaire. Yeah, literally, he's an actor billionaire Ponzi scheme of Ponzi schemes kind of guy. Right. You know, and yeah. it is what it is. But I mean, people idolize this guy. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm kind of a uh, renaissance man like you. I used to manage gas stations before I got into my current job. But um, I was taking flying lessons when I was 15 years old. My plan was to be a pilot, was to be an airline pilot. And uh, that didn't quite Were you influenced about John Travolta, by that way? Uh, Not so much. I always sort of looked up to him, and I always liked the idea of somebody being successful enough that they could own their own jetliner. (laughs) So he's uh, sort of not exactly a role model or anything like that, but no, I, I, I think fondly of him. Something about him personally as an, as a pilot, he like, you know, that pilots use checklists. And, oh yes. Yeah, oh, so yes. John Travolta uses checklists in his personal life. Like he has a checklist for his car. Like every time he goes to drive, he'll walk around the car and kick the tires. So he's like a little bit too crazy about checklists. <laughs> but then again, at the same time, you're, you know, that's a good trait to have. You know, you're not supposed to be uh, <laughs> overly cautious. So, do you think that's something that he developed as the more tasks that he was given and the more directions that he was supposed to put people through as far as direction with Scientology that he had to actually have all those checklists? Okay, this is what I'm doing now. Boom, 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 boom. I'm going to mm-hmm. do this. And then the next thing is going to be boom, 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 because everything was scheduled out for him. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I've seen that a lot of libertarians don't hold a very strict schedule. Yeah, so that's that's the only reason I mentioned that. Well, it's possible he had uh, he had his great career in the seventies, and then he sort of uh, you know fell apart. And if it wasn't for Pulp Fiction, he wouldn't have had uh, you know been the success that he is now. So I think that that changes uh, people when they get that close to. Uh, call it rock bottom or whatever. And I'm not saying that he had any substance problems or anything like that, but everybody's rock bottom is different. And I was there, I had a bankruptcy 11 years ago, coming back from things like that, make you extra careful to make sure that they never happen again. So correct. Probably something like that going on with him that he realizes, um, I can't take any chances. I, (laughs) this is my, uh, second time being successful and I'm not going to screw it up again. So it's probably something like that. And I can identify with that. Same way too. I'm the same way too. I'm a suicide. I I don't like being called a suicide survivor. I'm just a Mm. person that was lucky enough that somebody cared enough to fucking get me to the hospital so that I wouldn't die. So Mm. that I'm not, I'm not a survivor. I, you know, but when you realize that, um, your journey was uh, not what it was supposed to be. And you, you had to make all, you know, you had to change. You had to go from the right lane to the left lane or just get off the freeway and you turn, we're going to hit, we're going to restart from here and then continue back on. Yeah. Um, uh, Do you think that uh, is something that inspired you as well 
to see the, the roller coaster that the government actually portrays itself as to try and get out there and use that experience, that life experience and that skill to actually help people through government. Uh, yeah, I, I had my own brush. I'd never made an attempt, but I was hospitalized when I had my, I had a DUI in May of 2011 and I drive for a living. I drive a cargo van. So, and I actually smoke a lot of pot. So once I, that happened, I had to quit <coughs> weed. I had to go into the uh, classes and at the end of the DUI classes, they give you a drug test. So uh, smoking weed was out of the question. I was going to lose my driving job. So I was going to have to, you know, probably start working in a factory. So I went from smoking pot all day, every day to completely stopping. Um, and so within about two weeks of not really sleeping well, I was at the point where I'm going to take myself to the hospital because I can't stop not thinking about suicide, but I never made an attempt. And those hospital bills on top of all of the, uh, uh, credit card debt that I had from before then and everything just pushed me to the point where I've got to declare bankruptcy and uh, doing that and learning how to first, first of all, how to admit defeat, you know, and uh, take the rebuilding process at one step at a time. Right. Learning how to do that is a very valuable skill. I actually lost my older brother to suicide in 2018, and he was always super successful, very rich, very popular. Um, but he he killed himself when he was 50 years old because he was facing a divorce, and that's it. So, well, learning it, how to face a life falling apart is an important skill to have. Yes. When you, and when you see everything that you built actually doesn't have any kind of value anymore, yes. At a certain point in your life, you're just like, "Holy fuck, man! Everything I just worked my entire life for is fucking gone." Now I have to start from ground zero. And a lot of people, like myself, I I, I didn't want to go to the next journey. And you know, I made my you know I did what I did, and you know, lucky enough that uh, you know the gods or whatever put somebody there to, you know, grip me to the hospital. And last thing I remember was just getting strolled into the VA and, you know, was last name and four digits of their social. And that was it. That's the last thing I remember. Yeah. So it is what it is. Um, but to go from that point to where now I wasn't, um, when I woke up from that, the, the, the only thing I thought of is why am I still here? It's the only thing I thought of. So if I was still there, um, I was like, okay, well, now it's, it's, it must be all about me. It must be all about me. And I'm going to become a real selfish fucking person and stop fucking doing shit for Tom, Dick, Susan, Harry, Paul, and Pal, who just called you because you were the guy that, oh, you need help moving a uh, pallet of fucking drywall, you know, 10 by 12s or, you know, 10 by 8s or whatever the fuck they were, 10 by 4s. Let's go. Let's roll it out. Or you need your lawn cut or you need this or you need that. You know, not charging anybody a dime, just complete helping people out. And then you find out that, you know, you 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 still worked hard and you had your financial stuff. You know, I had a truck, I had a sound system, I had all this other personal you know, shit I thought was important. Lost everything, found out what was really important and was like, okay, well, I'm important. So fuck everybody else. I'm just going to do me and go from there. 
And once I started doing that, I actually saw myself progressing through life as far as the economic system and stuff like that. But it was a lot of hard work and shit didn't happen overnight, you know, and it's still not happening overnight. Just like I was trying to get this live stream going, but yet again, I trials and tribulations go for, uh, you know, have to wait 24 hours for my approval from YouTube to go live. <laughs> yeah. But I'm not bitching, you know, it is what it is, but, you know, I'm all new to this. I think I've uh, done leaps and bounds as far as the people that I've interviewed as far as libertarians and the positions that they've held or hold now. So, yeah. and I think there's a lot of people out there that are tired of this uh, current situation that they're in. They have a lot of good ideas to get past it. And I think that the only way is to keep spreading the message. You know, I may know people or reach people that, you know, people that have never heard of libertarian party or libertarianism or any of the philosophies or any of that shit. They really don't. And from where I come from, I don't care about the philosophy. I found a party that said that, Hey, we're not out here to hurt people. We're out here to get rid of all the fucking barricades, all the fucking policies that have been put in place that make the restrictions on your life the way that they are. And I was like sold. Yeah. That's well, sold. you were talking before about how you've had expectations of, how you're supposed to be that are put on you by other people. And that's the greatest thing about our philosophy is that nobody owes you happiness and you don't owe anybody happiness. It's entirely up to yourself. And I'm an objectivist myself. So I believe that me being the best me uh, for the purpose of benefiting me is also going to spread, you know, sunshine to the rest of the world, but I'm, def I'm doing it for me. And, and that's the greatest motivation that any person can have. And it's that individual um, nature that really uh, brought the Libertarian Party into my heart. And now I'm a member of the platform committee. That's just something that just kind of worked its way through. Um, and I like our platform. I'm going to see if we can find better ways to improve it. But I'm a Libertarian, not just because I look at the platform and I agree with each statement that really is secondary for me it's we need to have another strong group fighting the establishment that's in government right now at their game at their legislative you know using the ballot box and uh, using uh whatever just the idea that i have to be um certified well not so much certified but the uh, everything in the party once you become an established party goes through the secretary of state and we're going to have to have an official convention and i have to track minutes and all of this and it's it politics shouldn't be regulated by the governments no shit especially when those laws are made by the entrenched politicians who do not want opposition just like uh exactly. companies you know petition the government so that they don't they don't have competition yeah and that's why we don't currently have a free market yeah so so my main thing is let's build the libertarian party let's get us as a, a choice that people would actually vote for and uh come along for the ride on the policy you'll like what you see but don't you know if just us being a viable third choice that should be good enough motivation for somebody to think about joining the party <laughs> and at least check out the positions Right. And maybe not even join the party, but shit, at least throw your vote that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Support us. Uh, at least uh, agree with us when we say that we should be on the ballot. We should be in the debates. 
How come uh, Joe Jorgensen wasn't at one of the 2020 presidential debates? Her presence would have made them a lot better, would have made the questions a lot more uh, important to everybody who was watching and would have been better ratings. It would have been more money for the network. So that that really that last one should tell you that there is a big system in place to keep us out of the (laughs) discussion and out of the debates and off the ballot. Well, do you think uh, letting an independent like Ross Perot on the debate stage back in the early 90s fucked it up for independence? Uh, because he, he had good points. Yeah, he fucked up a lot of things himself, you know, by being wishy-washy. I'm in, I'm out, I'm in again. But um, but he was on he, the actual his, presidential his, stage. That's what I mean. Yeah, it, it, and he was doing extremely well. Yes. He was yes. going to win. So... Because that happened, they are on their toes. That's certainly true. Um, and they're watching for us. But um, Do you think the, the you know, National uh, Party has a shot in uh, actually becoming a, a one entity to where there's not secularism or anything like that? Do you think they can become one entity and, you know, try and get to that, you know, kumbaya stage where actually people can get uh, policy passed and cooperate with each other enough to where there's, you know, who gives a shit who has the control or who's passing what? As long as there is an ability to have more agreement than there is disagreement. Do you think that the National Party would be better off? Okay, I thought you were asking, could they? Uh, because they need to, they should, and eventually everybody always does the right thing, but it's the last thing that always happens. So um, I'm hoping that that's what's happening in Reno in May. I'm going to be there. I'm a member of the Libertarian Choir. The, the LNC has a choir for the first time ever. And what, hopefully us what does that mean? Is are you guys actually sing? Yeah, we've got a couple of songs that we're singing. Uh, uh, are you a tenor, a bass? Uh, I'm a baritone. Uh, baritone, okay. Yeah, um, you've probably heard me singing on Clubhouse. I get a couple of beers in me and I start singing. <laughs> no, haven't I, I haven't mentioned because my my wife has a, a bachelor's in uh, vocal performance and she's a mezzo soprano. So, oh, cool. And I was talking about the opera house before. My dad was a uh, a longtime actor and singer in musicals at the opera house. Everything from Oklahoma, South Pacific to uh, sweet. Uh, what we do, Evita. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of multi-talented. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that Renaissance man, Ken yep. Mattis. Am I saying your last name correctly? You got it, Mattis. Okay. Like Mad Dog Mattis. There was the. Uh, oh, that's a good one. Secretary. Yeah. Well, there was a defense secretary under Obama and then Trump, James Mattis, but he spelled it differently. He spelled it M-A-T-T-I-S. I spell it M-A-T-T-E-S. But yeah, I like that. I think I'll call myself Mad Dog Mattis. <laughs> Coming after the duopoly for yeah. the county board in uh, McHenry County. Yep. District my partner, Ruthie the Cat, right up there. How you doing, Ruthie? <laughs> she made it through COVID okay. Yeah, she's fine. I, I heard that there was a little bit of a sickness and... She went to the vet and then she was good to go. She wasn't eating her food and all that. Yeah, she, we, uh, so Illinois is one of the top, I think it's the number one pumpkin producing state in the country. But uh, when we had the uh, 
COVID lockdowns and all of the supply chain disruptions, we couldn't, we didn't have pumpkin on the shelf for about six months. And she needs a little pumpkin mixed into her food to keep her regular. And uh, yeah, when that stops, then uh, it got pretty ugly. So, but she's much better now. Well, that's good to hear. Mm -hmm. Uh oh, I say she's much better now. She's going to have a hairball. <laughs> 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 Perfect timing. <laughs> She's got candy. See? And <coughs> now I have a hairball. <laughs> Come here. Come here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Ruthie's got her own clubhouse page. That's what I use when I'm on my uh, iPad. So someday she'll be the most famous libertarian cat. She's getting the the video treatment today on the lunatic libertarian, though. Yes. Well, her and I got high with Vermin Supreme on a Zoom call a couple months ago. That was fun. Awesome. <coughs> Excuse me. This is Delta Eight. I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> There's actually a lot of people around who have uh, COVID. So. I don't have COVID. This is uh, THC Delta Eight that I'm. Uh, ah. It's legal in Wisconsin. It's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Things. So it's vape. Yes. Yeah. So I, I very much uh, want the real thing. But yet again, you have to abide by all these uh, rules and regulations. Of the world. Right. I'm going to light a cigar. It's a regular tobacco cigar. I can have three of these a week and still be considered a non-smoker under my health insurance. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, they can go fuck themselves. <laughs> <laughs> all the heroes in the medical industry you this is the lunatic libertarian talking now nobody else you can go fuck yourself with all your fucking processes and uh billing mistakes and coding mistakes and insurance mistakes and you do the shit on purpose so that it lags so that you can bill somebody and then it's got to be corrected um this shit with specialists and i gotta see a specialist for this and that and the other I'm mm -hmm. sorry, but um, I've met a lot of doctors that do not like me because I'm one of uh, I'm a very, very, very highly skilled diesel technician, and I understand the process of uh, what you have to do to troubleshoot. And when it comes to the human body, it still applies. Um, and most of these doctors, when you get into the nitty gritty with them, don't have a fucking clue unless I, AI spits the fucking answer out to them on the computer screen. Mm -hmm. So most doctors and I don't agree. And um, it, it, it's because the troubleshooting doesn't match the the path of the tree that you would normally see. Yeah. Because you can't tell me that I think I have a tendon or um, some kind of issue there in my shoulder. And you're telling me to go get an x-ray when it cannot pick up any kind of information on a tendon. So that's just that's just my rant right there about the. The, the, the heroes of the healthcare system that um, spout COVID bullshit and all that. And I'm not even going to get into any of COVID's bullshit. Since Dr. Fauci just pretty much told everybody that wasn't going to wear a mask and wasn't going to uh, comply with any of the COVID regulations, that they were pretty much fucking right. <laughs> it's like but it's about the boy who cried wolf, you know. They're, they can't expect us to ever listen to them with, uh, you know, as intently ever again. And I hope well, you, that. you can totally tell that it was a political uh, viewpoint. It's midterms now. 
their poll numbers as far as on the federal level and the Democratic Party are shit. So it, it, it is what it is. You know what I mean? It's a complete lie that was everybody was trying to expose. And then finally it came out and it, you know, it, it is what it is. Everybody that has been sat here from Jump Street and you can go to my Instagram and look at videos that I posted from when the f- whole COVID shit started. In, I think it was in like uh, February or March, April when the lockdown started hitting, I was just like, no, they're not going to give them up. And I've had the same viewpoint from, from jump street. So this is nothing new. It's it was, uh, two weeks ago or two years ago, yesterday or the day before that. But you know, uh, Facebook does the, here's your memories of a couple of years ago, two years yep. ago, put up the, uh, the meme from space balls of, uh, uh, princess Vespa with her big, uh, hairdryer. And uh, bring home, you know, bring only what's necessary with you. And that was uh, what they were calling essential workers back then. And I can't believe it's already two years ago. It's the longest two weeks of my life these past two years. Well, <laughs> and uh, I, I, I have always been designated an essential worker, so I, I wasn't really worried about yeah, that. Me too. But to put it, be put in that classification, um, it's like, hey, uh, this is not a this is not a real thing to me. I don't understand yeah. why anything has to change. Um, because my viewpoint is uh, because of my life experiences beyond my own suicide attempt is that you're going to die anyway one of these days, and it, nobody can tell me the day or the cause. It, I, I walked down the street and I got hit by a fucking dump truck, or I woke up and um, I climbed out of bed and I slipped on, you know, something that was on my floor and I cracked my skull against the fucking nightstand, you know, a, a fucking jack fails. A cargo van in Illinois on Illinois roads all day, every day. I mean, 60, 70,000 miles a year. So I probably got the most dangerous. <laughs> life. You're like the deadliest catch, bro. I've never, yeah, especially in Illinois. Uh, Never even looked into getting life insurance, but my grandmother actually just passed away a couple of months ago at the ripe young age of 104. So I've got some genetics that'll keep me around and, uh, you know, going to live my life. I can See, be- and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a Jack Casey on you because I think that's a conspiracy theory that it's actually not genetics. I think these are people that actually were being fed real food. And actually having real nutrition and not having a pharmaceutical or an, an, an industrial complex behind their health, you know. So, and then you look at margarine and lard and all these things that were implemented in the for cheap nutrition back in the 40s and 50s. And guys, you know, if you look at the, the, the timelines, people dropping dead in their 50s from heart attacks across the country from eating this shit. Mm-hmm. on a daily yeah like it was like it was cool there's nothing wrong with it, 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 it you know smoke 100 cigarettes a day you know pound a fucking nightcap or a few or a half bottle whatever just and eat your tv dinner get up go to work the next day that's pretty much you know eat this shitty food enjoy your little fucking shitbox house and that's what everybody was told that oh this is american dream you have everything you need food water shelter clothing and a job and you have the luxuries to oh well now you can buy a car but holy fuck that car is three thousand dollars it's it, it, it's an expense you know and oh now fuel you know here's an embargo you're not going to get supplied it anymore at a cheap price we're going to fuck everybody because it's a business aspect so I mean it 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 just it is what it is but I mean 
People say that the, it, it was the American dream. I really don't believe that. I think that the American dream happened before we we had uh, uh, before we had a Federal Reserve, before we had a central banking system, before we had the Roaring Twenties, before we had uh, prohibition on alcohol, before any of that shit. I mean, that's when people came to the country to be free. Yeah. And people, they did some hard yeah. shit to be try and be free. Yeah. Oh, they 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 drank a lot back in the day to make up for it too. That's how they got by. <laughs> well, and water wasn't always the best thing too. You know, they didn't quite understand bacteria and water. What? Hold on, right, let me go check with my producer. A hey, fact check of that for me. Yeah, I don't have one, so <laughs> uh, 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 I, I don't have a date or time of actually when that would actually be appropriate to say when humans understood that boiling water actually killed the bacteria in it so that it made it healthy to drink. But now we're told that uh, fluoridating our water and putting it through chemical treatment plants is better for us as far as it's still (laughs) going to go through some fucking cast iron rusty ass pipe as it hits your faucet. Yeah. Well, I went to Southern Illinois University. I was in the aviation program down there and we were one of the top party drinking schools in the country when I was there and our uh, mascot. You beat us? You beat, you beat Wisconsin? I think we did. Our mascot is the Saluki, which is an Egyptian hunting dog. So we always had Egyptian theme around the uh, campus. And if you look up beer, uh, the history of beer, the Egyptians actually started beer back six, 7,000 years ago because water was so dangerous. It was safer to drink beer. So <laughs> it all ties. And it was called mead, correct? <laughs> yeah, that might be true. But my, well, it was uh, an actor of the gods. That's all I understood about mead, especially on the Egyptian or the Norse aspect. <laughs> I like sake. I like uh, when I go Ooh. to a hibachi restaurant and they squirt the uh, sake in your mouth. <laughs> uh, uh, Fuji apple sake, I would recommend. Mm. Mm. That is excellent. That's Fuji awesome. apple sake. I had one. See, uh, you're bringing up a, a chance that it was not. A, it was not a hibachi restaurant. It was actually a Jap- a very high end Japanese sushi restaurant that my former principal and uh, math teacher and tutor took me to. I went to an alternative high school and junior and middle school. So these are two individuals that probably helped me along my journey, probably to make me the person that I am. But um, yeah, he was raised in Japan. His name is Aki. His name's Akira Gamblin. So his first name is Japanese. Um, and he, he took me down to this place in Milwaukee off a of prospect, Azumi's. And he's, you know, I was of age. I had been out of the military. They were like, oh, yeah, you're back now. And woo, woo, woo. oh, come on, let's go have dinner. OK. And yeah, they paid for it. And fucking him and I drank like three or four of them. He's like, you want to do more? And I'm like, I got to drive, man. But yeah, we, 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 we put down some sake. And he's like, it's good, isn't it? And I'm like, yeah, it's fucking good. The food's good, too. We had good uh, sushi. I had salmon and a couple of other cuts of tuna. And it was excellent. It was a great experience. Have you ever tried Indian beer? Uh, Indian pale ale? No. A beer, well, might be. Uh, what I'm thinking of is Royal Challenge or Kingfish or any of the brands of beer that are from the country of India. I've, 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 I, I can say that I probably have drinking Indian beer, but I cannot know the name because it was actually written in Indian ah. and the bottle was like purple. <laughs> and the dude that I was buying it from said, yeah, this is this is some good stuff. And 
yeah, I don't really remember them nights. I just remember the what the bottle looked like. And uh, yeah, I probably drank uh, quite a few Indian ales over the over, over the years. This was when I was working at the gas station and I had uh, employees from Pakistan and employees from India and they were always fighting each other. Yeah. <laughs> but and there are nuclear powers and that shit's real too. It was you don't hear shit experience. about that. You're going to like my food. You're going to like my culture. But the best Man. Indian beer is uh, it's called Royal Challenge. And I took the Royal Challenge and I usually passed. <laughs> I'm done with all that shit. I'm drinking my little cheap liney kugels. You know, it's, it's not Jan the worst. You got the uh, it's the John. It's the uh, Arnold Palmer of beer. <laughs> yeah, it's good though. But I drink these as well. The IPA. Yes, and it's a uh, it's a passion fruit orange guava IPA. Mm. Ah, lovely. I'm drying up. I'm driving our friend Thomas Queter and his wheelchair van uh, all the way from here in Illinois out to the Reno convention. And then in Reno, I'll probably be part of his uh, daily transportation. And when I had the Illinois state convention back in October, I drank way too much and did not enjoy it. I had a good time, but that's from what I remember. So I want to be really clear headed and be smoking a lot of weed, doing a lot of uh, other stuff, but not going to be drinking on this trip. So Got to get myself uh, adjusted for that. <laughs> I told it's also Stephen better Witt, to be uh, clear-headed when I have a campaign going too. But sorry, go ahead. Oh, I'm I'm sorry for interrupting you. Uh, I told Stephen Witt because uh, we have a podcast set up for tomorrow, and I said, "Yeah, dude, I'm not uh, I'm not trying to drink on the podcast anymore because um, it seems like the further along in my podcast, you can hear my uh, voice start to slur and, you know, <laughs> the words ain't coming out quite as clear. And, you know, I don't want to be disrespectful to the guests and, you know, start going off on tangents and shit like oh, that. Oh, yeah. So. Right. But uh, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, some of my best nights on Clubhouse are nights that I was so drunk I don't remember. But <laughs> it, it worked. I got, I got followers and people tell me that I was telling great stories. So. <laughs> What's cool is when you can have that personality and when it's highlighted by the booze or whatever, but it's great that you don't need it. So, you know, when it's uh, there as a nice uh, boost every once in a while or a bonus, it's cool. But when you start to uh, rely on it, that's when it's uh, that's when it's working against your own interests. Exactly. So. And that's why I was like, yeah, I, I spent too much time editing the podcast and I, I can't drink uh the heavy stuff anymore if i drink at all and i uh, it's it's better to if i'm taking it more seriously which i absolutely am i'm paying for Streamyard now fucking facebook put me in jail because i told uh bootleg in a boxing match that i would beat his ass yeah and i don't care how big you are bootleg i'm a little five foot eight puerto rican norwegian little fucking tornado bro and I'm about two, right now about 198. So I'm, uh, yeah, dude. Even if you're six foot two, my arms are probably longer than yours. So I have pretty long arms for my uh, my height. So in a boxing match, and I and I and I've been doing boxing for years. So I, I think in a boxing match, dude, it's it would be a, a no contest. I told them we should just do a fucking claymation of uh, like a celebrity death match. <laughs> The lunatic libertarian versus the bootleg bootleg uh, libertarian in celebrity deathmatch. I think that oh, would be like fucking that. great. I'll put on the referee shirt and be Judge Mills Lane. Let's get it on. 
And now, man, Facebook jail. I can't believe it. Um, I've never been there myself, but I hear that it's like real jail. You go in with a uh, minuscule uh, amount of uh, knowledge in crime and you come out with a master's degree. So if you come out of Facebook jail, you're like a master's degree. <laughs> no, I've been to real jail and I've talked to real criminals and real gangsters. And yeah, you, you can learn some shit in, in jail about how business actually works, really. Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny. I don't know if you follow like Al Prophet on YouTube or any of that, but uh, that guy has uh, done some serious historical research on this country with the government and its affiliations with uh, criminal organizations and shit like that, like the mafia mm-hmm. and uh, World War II, as far as protecting the naval yards in Jersey and shit like that. So it, it, it's 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 real. I mean, just check your history. It's real. Yeah. So. Be informed. Don't talk about facts with me. Just talk about your resources, and uh, we 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 or we can go and check it because that's that's really the thing is that what's written in books. I mean, it's all debatable. It's all debatable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. No, uh, no secret ever lasts forever. There's some that last for a long time, and if there's anybody who's good at keeping a secret, it's the government. They've got you know, professional experience, but you can't keep something in the shadows forever. Eventually it catches the light of day. Well, and I think Alex Jones uh, was talking about everything that's happening now, 20 years ago. And it was, a joke, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And, and that even, guy's right about more than he's wrong. I mean, yeah. And just satirically things that you would see on TV in the seventies and in movies, the movie network was supposed to be a horror story and we can't ever let this become real life. But now that's exactly what broadcast news is. And it was like that a long time ago. So, uh, they live with, uh, Roddy, Roddy Piper. (laughs) Yep. Stay asleep, breed, just be a worker. Do what I tell you. Yeah. Everything's okay. Keep running that rat race. So yeah, it's a uh, shit's crazy, man. I think I hate, that... I hate when they use those broad terms. Uh, they talk about workers and they talk about families. When I say they, I guess I'm talking about the Democrats. But when you see them out in uh, campaigns and here in Illinois, they're talking about money, uh, taking, getting, uh, suspending the gasoline tax, and they always talk about it in terms of we're going to do this to save families money. And uh, when they're talking about uh, uh, unions, it's always workers' rights, this and that. And why don't they just say people? Why don't they just say individuals? Yeah, I don't know, man. Um, we're, we're at uh, one hour and almost 18 minutes. Um, I don't think a, a over an hour broadcast is going to happen on YouTube. So um, okay. we're probably going to have to wrap this up as far as this. But yet again, this is going to be recorded. We can probably blend some shit together but um uh, as far as the uh, actual campaign that you're gonna run uh let people know where you're at let people know how they can contact you um i i know you're engaged on clubhouse i know you're engaged on facebook i know you're engaged on a lot of different platforms so where can they find you and um uh where they can uh, donate if they want to as far as their time and volunteering or uh with their money I've got the website, ken2022.us. I've seen it scrolling, I think, in your uh, ticker, but it's ken2022.us. I've got all my contact information up there. Don't have a button for people to volunteer yet because I don't have much um, of a campaign 
team in place. I've got my campaign manager and I've got a treasurer. Uh, we're going to be reworking. Uh, I have two Facebook pages. I've got my personal one and I've also got a precinct committeeman Ken Mattis page that is set up as like a celebrity politician, you know, set up more for a business than for a person. And that's probably going to change to just be Ken Mattis for county board. Um, but that change isn't going to be coming for a little while. I've got to make a official campaign announcement video, you know, a 90 second thing. And, uh, I'm lucky. I've got a nice ex-girlfriend who, uh, does stuff that like that video production. Uh, she took all the photos for my website. She's not doing it for free because that's illegal, but she's giving me a very good discount and it's all on the up and up. I'm getting receipts and all that, but I'm going to make a big, uh, professional looking, campaign announcement video and change over that Facebook page. But yeah, I'm on Clubhouse. I've got a little bit of an Instagram presence with that uh, handle, ken2022.us. But once I get my uh, campaign announced, make that video, um, my campaign manager, Dan, has a plan for me to start making regular posts and uh, try to use the beast against it, you know, Facebook, Instagram, um probably going to stay away from Twitter, but I cannot speak highly enough about Clubhouse and how much Clubhouse has helped my personal libertarian, if you want to call it career. But the number of people that I've met, you, Justin, uh, Thomas, I think I first got involved uh, when my friend Dan Lewis posted a page about Ashley Shade having a room. I ended up volunteering for her and kicking ass at phone banking. So that's all because of Clubhouse. So I'll be on there as much as I can. It's been uh, it's been up and down lately, but uh, I like to be on there. So I'll be there. And uh, I've also got a YouTube channel, so I'll try to have some live videos at least once in a while on there too. But everything will be, uh, like the central hub will be my website, ken2022.us. Okay, and I would say if you're going to do live videos and if you have a YouTube channel to start running, um, I think uh, StreamYard for the professional account where you have all the glitch, you know, mm, glitch yeah. and the glamour is only like 40, 50 bucks a month. So mm, that's not bad. Okay. But yes, uh, that could this be a campaign is, expense. Well, exactly. So, yeah. I mean, um, or if you want to come on to Lunatic Libertarian, we can have you on here whenever you want, man. Um, awesome. I, I, I want to publicly apologize to Bull Johnson for falling asleep before his interview. I, I, I really am very, very sorry, sir. Um, the body just gave out. It really did. It just gave out. And when I woke up at 8 o'clock, I was like, holy fuck, man. And then come to find out when I came upstairs and try and test my mic, my adapter had broken. So we wouldn't have been able to do the podcast. I was extremely more pissed off. Than I probably should have been, but um, you know these things happen. We're 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 still kicking and cruising. Um, I have to touch base with uh, Steve Sheets and uh, um, Joe Sorosco. Did I say his name right? Joe Solasco, not Sorosco. Solasco. Joe Solaski is the key to Pennsylvania, right? And he and uh, Steve Sheets are uh, participating in a new party called the Keystone Party in Pennsylvania. Um, so I was hoping to get my re-interview with Steve. And actually, uh, Joe was actually supposed to be on the uh, interview on Friday. Uh, 
last Monday, but uh, he had to work late and shit didn't work out. So, well, we have a thing called nap roulette here in the Midwest. You just lay down, and who knows if it's going to be for five minutes or five hours. <laughs> yeah, it is what it is, man. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. You are. Thank you for having me. This is a bunch of fun, and really appreciate being on here. I hope I didn't slur too much. I hope no. I, uh, everything's been cool as far as the topics and everything. It it seems like a real cool uh, kind of conversation, but uh, we're probably going to end this right now. Uh, stay with me, and we're just going to end the recording. Lunatic Libertarian going live, getting the video camera going, getting everything rock and rolling. I got to get rid of this uh, sunset in the background because it's about 622, so I know I'm going to have to deal with that sun now. Uh, but Ken Mattis, thank you very much, sir. Ken2022.us, Ken Mattis, McHenry County Board, District 1, Lunatic Libertarian. He kept his promise. I kept mine on Clubhouse. We were going to do the verse video recording together. We did it. This is how libertarians rock and roll when they're about the cause. Libertarianism, get after people. Be relentless, Ken, in your campaign. You'll get that seat, and I'm out.